Welcome to the K2 Sales Podcast. I'm your host, Karen Kelly. Every week, I'll be sitting down with a sales executive where they'll share their stories and experiences that produce game-changing results. Let's be honest, sales can be a tough game. I'm sure at some point, you've all delivered a less than stellar demo, been ghosted by a client or two, and sometimes, maybe we did more talking than listening. And that's where I can help. The stories and insights our guests share can be applied to your own business, your territory, or with your team, so you're not reinventing the wheel. Our weekly tactics and strategies help you get out of your head and start creating your own path towards game-changing results. Welcome back to the K2 Sales Podcast. I'm your host, Karen Kelly. Now, many of us have to have difficult conversations either with our customers or for sales leader, our team. And there's a right way and there's a wrong way to do it. And I had the pleasure of speaking with Gaetan Pellerin, who is the author of Mindful Negotiations. We talked about, you know, the importance of, of giving feedback, how to give feedback, and why conversations are difficult. And you know, without giving too much away, it's typically we make it difficult. So how can we prepare? How can we check in with ourselves? And how are we showing up prior to getting into a difficult conversation? And I think that that um, that really self-awareness, that self-check is important. Identifying how you're feeling, um, any triggers that could come up for you. And, and the benefit of that is if you can get in front of it and, and you know, be aware of all that, when you're in the moment, you're having difficult conversations, the focus is completely on the other person. There's no weight or fog of you bringing your drama or your whatever's going on, your triggers in it. It's, that's gone. And so you can be fully present. You can see things before they're happening. You can be empathetic. You can be compassionate for whoever you're, you know, is receiving this. And you can also be patient to hold space for them to process what it is you've just shared with them. And most people just go and they kind of, you know, they deliver the message and they're like, okay, I got another appointment at two o'clock. I got to go. And when you think about, you know, the damage that does to the team, to the culture, to the morale, to the trust, to, to them coming back and asking you for help after, it's very damaging. So a lot of what we talked about is just how can we prepare um, so that we're equipped to have a difficult conversation and also you know, be okay with having a difficult conversation. A lot of times new managers who are transitioned from an individual contributor role, they're unaware that this is part of the role. And so where they were friends with their, their teammates, you know, one week, the next week they have to have, a, you know, deliver a difficult message. And so how can we even introduce that in the, um, the job description, maybe in the interview as a role-playing activity to get them aware of this is, this is a key component of the, the job. And if you're not cut out for it and you're not prepared to do that, wouldn't you rather know in advance? Because, you know, you're dealing with people here and it's completely different than as an individual contributor when you're dealing with products. So highly uh, recommend you take a listen. If you are a sales leader, definitely you could, there's tons of things you can put into practice, but also as a, as a founder or a sales uh, professional, many tactics we can take as well to prepare for when we're going in front of our customers, whether it's for negotiation, a price increase, we have to deliver a delay on a product, whatever it is, allows us to prepare mentally to, again, stay committed to the outcome that we're looking to achieve and remove any emotion. So highly uh, encourage you to take a listen. As always, let us know what you think. And if there's something you applied specifically, share that with us. Um, if you haven't uh, subscribed, encourage you to hit that subscribe button. And uh, also we'd love to get uh, some more reviews. Let us know how we're doing. It, uh, it helps visibility and reach and we can continue to get great uh, guests on. So look forward to, uh, to getting some feedback. Thanks for watching everybody. And we'll see you next time. So I want to welcome back Gaetan Pellerin to the podcast. It's been quite a while. And when you were last here, we talked about mindful negotiations. And we're going to flip the script a little bit and talk about mindfulness in difficult uh, discussions and conversations. So Gaetan, welcome to the podcast. Thank you very much for having me back, Aaron. It's good to well, see that's, you. That's, a, that's the, the, the test here. <laughs> if you get a call <laughs> back, you, you did okay the first round. You delivered value. <laughs> Sales is exchange of value for time, right? So you, uh, you were is. successful. That's awesome. That's good to know. 
you know, as I mentioned, you, you know, you had an amazing book, which I read and, and we'll link it uh, for those who haven't read it, Mindfulness Negotiations. And you've pivoted now to um, mindfulness in, in difficult conversations. So why don't you just start by telling us kind of where the shift or transition came from? Yeah, uh, thank you for bringing that uh, back. I uh, wrote my book about negotiation. And one thing I realized, Karen, is the challenges in negotiation and in sales it starts with conversation, right? So I can have a conversation with my wife. I can have a conversation with my employee. The principle of that are very similar. Well, we're not talking about negotiation skills here, but really to have a good grasp on negotiation, we need to be present. And a conversation, sometimes it's difficult because there's a lot of emotion built in. We, we don't want to damage a relationship. We... We feel we're responsible for the other person's reaction. So it just feels natural for me to expand toward conversation because I feel there's, uh, there's more ways I can help people to go through those difficult conversations. And I would agree with you about starting, you know, as a conversation. And so, like, to back it up a bit, why, why are conversations difficult? Like, do we, I mean, I'm sure there's already an element of difficulty regardless of what's going on, but... Is it us that's adding another layer of complexity or where does this difficult difficulty come from in conversations? Yeah, it's, it's an interesting question because a difficult conversation, Karen, it's difficult because we expect the recipient to react negatively, right? We expect the other person to not welcome what we have to tell them, um, so it could be a disagreement, it could be bad news, it could be something that happened in the past, or for salespeople, something that could happen in the future, like a price increase or back orders. But here's the key. A conversation is only difficult because we make it difficult. The same conversation you and I, Karen, will tackle together, maybe for you it's easy because you have experience. Maybe... You just build your skills and, and so on. And maybe the same conversation for me, it's scary because I had past experience with the same people or about the same topic and I'm scared, right? Or I don't trust my ability to keep, my, keep myself in control during that conversation. So a difficult conversation always start with us or our ego that makes it difficult because we are afraid of the other person's reaction. And I'm wondering also if there's an element of, you know, when you're, something's happening or there's an event or a phone call or a meeting scheduled and in your head, you start thinking negatively, like they're, they're not going to sign here. And so it's almost like we're setting up the situation, like, it's, you know, your thoughts create your actions, but it's like, we're creating a scenario that might not play out, but the more we think about it, that's the RAS in the back of our brain sending messages to actually create that. Is there an alignment there of, you know, what you shared in that? Yeah, yeah, totally. This is this is the reason why I'm saying we make it difficult. Our little voice in our head, mm-hmm. we're scared. We don't want to damage a relationship. We're afraid of losing the business. We don't want to make the other person feel bad. And oftentimes what's happening is when we go to that conversation, we're losing control or there's an emotional burst or the other person push back on what we have to say and they start crying or they, they're disappointed. And now our brain's like, yeah, I told you that, right? Mm-hmm. So now what do you do with that? So I call it the ego, the little voice in our head. It's, it's all about scenario planning for the worst. But when I coach people, Karen, my, my piece of advice for them is always if your objective in a difficult conversation is to help the other person or the situation, we're now responsible for how they react. And this is a big shift because most people, we're afraid, right? Whatever it is, professional, personal, we don't want a person to look at us from a different perspective. We don't want a person to stop liking us, loving us, um, so it's all those scenario planning that you were referring to that it's going in a loop in our head. And, and sometimes it's just changed our behavior versus that conversation. 
I love that. And just like you said, coming at it from the perspective of I'm trying to help you, because I think what happens is in the moment, even if you're getting these negative responses or they're not giving you the reaction or the response you anticipated, but that's in the moment. They're just receiving that news. And an hour later, when they're processing it, they're journaling about it, they're talking to their friends about it, they have a completely different reaction. So what we see in the moment isn't necessarily true of what they're actually experiencing. Exactly. And, you know, you ask somebody to react under pressure or they got the news, it's, it's mm-hmm. difficult. But, you know, uh, when you think about it and you look at other perspectives and you just, you just get your cool back, now you can get a different reaction, right? And, but that's the first part. That's when people react in the moment. That's the scary part. We fundamentally, we want people to love us, to like us, to work with us, to appreciate us. And any negative news or bad news we are communicating with them, we are afraid that it's going to change that mm-hmm. current relationship. And, and I can see that where people want to be liked, accepted, you know, valued. And in that moment, they're not. But I think what's happening there, and you can correct me if I'm wrong, is that they're losing sight of the objective of the conversation. And it's the desire to help versus the desire to be liked. Absolutely. So in conversation, there's an objective to the conversation, right? So what's the purpose? Why you and I have a conversation today? That should be right there. And whatever happens, I cannot move forward if I don't have a sight of my purpose. This is my lifeline. The purpose is the lifeline. But if I lose track of it because the other person is emotional or I'm getting emotional, right? So it's, it could be two ways. Now, when we're emotional, we're losing sight of the purpose and where it feels like we're going into quicksand and we improvise, we don't know what to do next. So it's really about keeping sight of the purpose to help us anchor why we're here today, right? Mm-hmm. And what are we trying to fix or to correct or to provide feedback if you want? Mm-hmm. And when you're saying the purpose, Gaetan, is that something that you communicate verbally at the beginning of the call, the purpose of this is? Uh, You can. Definitely the other person has no clue what we're talking about, right? But the purpose starts with our preparation. Why am I meeting that person today? What's my objective? Mm -hmm. Where do I want to be by the end of the meeting? Is it a good idea to share? Yeah, you can build that into your opening phrases of the meeting. Uh, so mm-hmm. both parties are um, equal or have the same expectation. But the purpose, it's really for you first. Why mm-hmm. are we here? And do you think in terms of where people fail, do you think most people don't invest enough time in that preparation phase? Yes, totally. Um, if you don't prepare yourself, you're going to improvise. Yeah. And under stress, what we want to say and what we are actually saying are two different things. The more bad news we have to deliver, the more we want to unconsciously soften the blow. We want to smooth our messaging, right? Um, there's, you know, there's no feedback anymore. It's all about sugarcoating. Uh, so that is starting with the preparation because people honestly don't really know how to prepare for a difficult conversation. So they just Google thing, they talk to their friends. Am I right to think this or am I right to think that? And they go into a conversation with the intent of persuading the other side that they're right or I'm right and they're wrong, right? Or it's your fault. So it's it's the blame thing and, you know, the conversation around who owns the truth here, right? So that's the approach where people are failing the most because the, the objective of a conversation, it's not to prove yourself. It's not to blame anybody. It's to find a solution together mm-hmm. to what happened or what will happen in the mm-hmm. future. And, and as you're saying this, this is just my life of sales. Like this is, this is a sales call when you come in there. Like how are you setting it up intentionally? How are you preparing for me, I, I anticipated every angle that they could potentially come at. And surprisingly, they never even entered any of them. But I had ammunition for three layers down. 
but I, I think a lot of people don't do that. But what you just said there, Gaetan, is when, um, you know, you're deliver you're, you're not prepared and you're delivering, um, a difficult message or pricing increase or something, and you're trying to smooth things over. And I, what I also see is people just feeling that silence and just over talking and then discounting or whatever they're doing. And I just think it's very reactive. And when you can even introduce a pause and maybe that's one of the things you suggest, but just in that moment to kind of reset yourself and go, I'm getting sucked in here. I feel it. Um, and how can I course correct in a pause or let them feel the, fill the silence. But I think we, we over talk, we overshare, and we end up making things so much worse. They, they probably would have accepted the price increase, but we, we talked, we tried to justify it. We did all this stuff and it's like, just zip it. Yeah. Yeah, you're right. And, and if we talk about salespeople, salespeople, I'm a salesperson, you are a salesperson, we like to talk. And for most of us, we're comfortable when we are doing the talking, right? Because we're going, we can go on features and benefits, explain, blah, blah, blah. But what people don't realize is there's even more power when you ask questions instead of doing all the mm -hmm. talking, right? If you ask a question... You shouldn't talk before the other person responds, right? So it goes back to be, I call that be friend with silence. Mm -hmm. You know, you make a proposal. We all know the first person who talk about it risk <laughs> of losing because there's something that's happening here, right? It's emotional. We're afraid and it goes in our head. But if we can slow down the time and just take a breather here, it gives us an ability to just observe the conversation, mm -hmm. right? Asking a question, being silent. What do you think? Being silent. So it requires, you know, an ability to be mindful or be present, mm -hmm. if you want, in that moment. Because otherwise we're sucked in into a dynamic and it's, you know, eventually we just want to get out of that conversation. Mm -hmm which is not helping us to achieve the purpose of that conversation. Yeah. And I think salespeople, like, like you said, they, they think, and I, I would have been a believer of this early in my career that, you know, I need to be talking. And now it's like, I need to be listening. And even, and even after they've shared or responded, wait five seconds, cause they're going to add to it. And so even more listening, and it's such a, uh, a, well, I'm not going to say a, a lie, but it's like when they say you have the gift of the gab, it's like that makes a bad salesperson. If you can listen. And like you said, I love that being an observer because it's almost like you're, you're coming out of your body and you're looking down on the situation and, and you can observe for yourself and also for them and just say like, why did they, why did they jump on that? You know, was it a past thing? Was it shine a mirror on me? Did I deliver that? Was there a bit of a an abrupt nature there was my ask too, did, too harsh. And so I, I think uh, many people, both I would say sales leaders and reps could benefit from being that observer, both with themselves. Um, because like you said, how we plan on delivering it and how we actually deliver it when there's emotion, there's high risk, high stake, it might be different. It might not land as if, you know, had like how we planned it to. Yeah. And this, when, I, when I've learned to do calls on Zoom or on a call, I've learned to summarize what I'm mm -hmm. hearing, right? So it forced me to really slow down because most salespeople are really intelligent people, right? So the ability to think three steps ahead of time, this is sometime, something that you want to have. You want to have your planning, but you don't want to... You don't want to give your power to that mm -hmm. planning. You want to be in yeah. that moment. And what's working very well for me when I do sales call on Zoom or on a, on a phone, I force myself to repeat what the other side is mm -hmm. telling me, right? So what I'm hearing is blah, blah, blah. It's not full silence, but it prevents me to go mm -hmm. too fast in my head that I'm really present. And when I do that, it gives me two things. Give me clarity of what I've heard. And I'm also telling the other side that yeah. I'm listening to you, right? So that goes that goes together with the purpose of slowing down. But imagine what it does for them. It allowed, like you said, they know you're listening. But I feel that trust is starting to be built there because you're, the focus is on them. 
and you know you're using the language they said and all of a sudden they're like I am in good hands here is he shared his purpose and I feel that the questions the way he's listening the way he's probing is definitely moving us towards that purpose uh, absolutely absolutely and when the buyers feel we're not there to sell yeah. something but we're here yeah. to help that changed the energy during that conversation Oh my God, the amount of times I've said that it's, I, I coach founders and the first thing they say is, but I'm not a salesperson because it's a, tr a trigger word. And I'm like, well, then, then this is a hobby. It's not a business because you need to be selling. But I said, well, change the language. What do you do? And they say, well, I like to help people. And I said, well, think if you didn't help them, if you didn't share the message with them, you're actually doing them a disservice. And when they can come at it through that lens, it's not salesy, it's not pitchy, it's not Wolf of Wall Street. You're actually saying, like, I understand what you're going through because we've worked with many people like you. And this solution, like, let me share it with you to see if you feel it would be a good fit. And that, there's nothing salesy about it. It's like me saying, Gaitan, I came across this amazing recipe. you got to try it. <laughs> Knowing that you love seafood, I'm not selling, I'm helping you because I know that about you. And so I think if we can just shift the mindset, and as you said, that the, the, the whole nature of that call is not salesy, and it's just, I'm here to help. And it might not be this time, but when, when you're ready to eat seafood, here's the recipe. Exactly, exactly. It's, it's really at, at the start of it, it's to change the behavior from talking to be mm -hmm. curious. That's, that's it. Being curious about the other person. And, you know, ultimately, a lot of companies, Karen, spend a lot of time training their people on mm -hmm. product, right? What if, if you don't do product training, right? People are, oh, I don't have any features and benefits. I cannot persuade. But actually, you don't need the full amount of product training to do a good sales mm -hmm. call. If you're curious, you ask about them you know, then you can come back with product expertise or, or part of your solution that can help them. But if you're not curious and you just go with your product features and benefits, you're going to behave exactly the same way as 50 other salespersons <laughs> are behaving and you're not differentiating no. yourself from you them. You monetize for sure. Absolutely. And so how do you teach someone to be curious? <laughs> it's 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 not easy right um but it's going back to the purpose of the conversation what's the purpose of a sales call people will say well i need to sell something actually no you don't have to sell anything the the purpose of a sales call is to establish mm -hmm. a connection the purpose of a sales call is to understand the other side's reality so we can present a solution and I think it goes to, you know, sales training or uh, negotiation skills training. If you don't understand what the other party is looking for, if you don't understand their drivers, their motivation, do they want to lose faith, um, avoid losing face? Are they looking to make their bonus this year? This is how you connect with people, right? So you and I have a conversation, we're connecting, we're asking each other what's happening in the last year or so, we're curious. In sales, it feels like we're missing that part because we are stressed about delivering our own message and our own message is us in a corner, but it doesn't incorporate the other side's reality. And that oftentimes it's it's the challenge, right? So not incorporating the other side's reality. And you when you are a sales leader, you have to ask the right question about so what's the reality of the client? Well, if you, we don't agree with the price they're leaving, well, is that true? You know, is there is that a possibility that something else happened? What did you hear that makes you believe that? So we go into a, a, a form of filling the blank with what we yeah. think. So we trust our assumption without testing the mm -hmm. assumption. And, and I think, again, that comes down to the preparation, just, you know, working with your team or working uh, with some peers and just saying, like, for me, the biggest thing is a lot of times in my coaching sessions, they'll say, well, what if I can't answer the question? And my response is, <laughs> the bigger thing is, why do they ask that question? There's something there. 
it's the question behind the question. And I just think like, that's where your curiosity should come in. And I always say, look, act like a detective. And if a question is very at face value, that's fine. But if there's a little bit of a twitch to it, you, you have to dig deep there. And that's when you can label and say, I'm just curious, you know, where, I'm curious what, why you've asked that question. Cause it's, you know, is it from the standpoint you've had a bad experience before or you, you know, whatever it is and calling it out. And what that does in my experience is it shines a light on them and they might say, oh, you know what? <laughs> I didn't realize that was actually abrupt. I just, I just had a bad call or, you know what, our last vendor year three, they went out of business and we were screwed for two years. We, we couldn't supply. And so there's, so the biggest thing is for me, again, that motivation. And this is all, you know, when you know your buyer persona, this is stuff that you can plan. You can say like, how do they make a decision? Who motivates them? What influences them? What's, what's going to allow them to stay or move away from status quo? Like these are all things you can do well in advance. Cause I always say, if you're waiting for those ahas to come up in the moment, they're not. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, it's very true. Uh, and people, people have a hard time to just asking mm-hmm. question, right? And even if I don't have the answers, people have to uh, recognize something. As a salesperson, you don't have to have all the answers in that meeting. It's okay if you say, I, I don't know the answer to that. Let me check internally. You have to come back to the customer to give yeah. them the answer. But you don't have to have all the the, the solution, all the response, all the, the, the answer to their question. What you have to have is an ability to understand fully their world, where they're coming from, right? Where, where are they going? What's their objective? What's their priority? What's their pain point? And that is helping you building the profile of your client that down the road, you can come and say, what I heard you saying I think I can help you be better or minimize risk or, but it's related to mm-hmm. them. It's not related to the, the product itself or, you know, the organization. Mm-hmm. And for me, that's the difference between a vendor and a partner. Right. Yeah. Totally. To- so totally. When we talk about the difficult conversations, are there different components that go into these types of conversations? Well, we talk about, you know, the, you, there is mainly two components of a difficult conversation is the outcome and the relationship, right? So there's a reason why we're having this conversation. That's the, the purpose. And obviously there's a relationship in front of us that we want to maintain or expand. Um, most people delivering a difficult conversation focus more on the relationship. Mm-hmm. So when I hear salespeople telling me I'm a relationship salesperson, I'm like, woo, that's okay. Are you able to deliver bad news? And they go, well, no, that's, I don't want to upset them. So you see now the, the relationship takes precedence or uh, takes a control versus the outcome. But the, the really a good conversation is to deliver both a purpose or a business-related issue, and in a way that doesn't damage a relationship. Mm-hmm. I'm just seeing, like, so many things are coming to my mind there about just that desire to be liked. And even, even I think, Gaetan, when you have sales reps who have been promoted to a sales manager, so look at culture, and they're buddies with everybody, and, all, and then on the next week, they're reporting to them. And so how do you then you know, you, you make the relationship secondary and really say, Hey, John, I know we were drinking at the sales meeting last weekend. (laughs) Now I got to talk to you about your numbers and, uh, you're going to go on a pip or whatever it is. And it's like, so it's outcome. So how do you, I mean, obviously that's not always a situation, but how do you prepare people to either do that in short term or long term, but just to even shift from managing the relationship to the outcome? Is there tactics that you can share with them that they can start applying to, to make that shift? Yeah, this is this is a challenge I observe in many organizations. It's the onboard inboarding or onboarding of new management people, right? So you go from an individual contributor and you got promoted, and now you're not an individual contributor anymore. You are the captain of your team. And your job is to solve problems. And your job is to listen to your team. Your job is to support them, etc. Cetera, etc. Cetera. And I find that it's the transition between individual contributor and being a management team. It's difficult because 
it's not helping the person to shift their focus before they got the job, right? So before you got the job, we should structure expectation before we nominate that person and have a conversation with them or even ask them, what's your expectation as a team captain or as a team leader, whatever the title is, and really have a conversation before the change so people can be more prepared from that perspective, right? And for me as a manager, the, the outcome is really important. Mm-hmm. But you cannot get the outcome without the relationship. So you have to find a way to deliver the outcome, the business, the numbers, whatever, without alienating your team. So it's really bringing awareness to a change of focus. You're not an individual contributor anymore. You have to rely on a team. You have to coach them. You have to let them try and fail. You have to be there for them. So it's it's a really big uh, shift into a mindset. And I find that people are not ready for that because either nobody told them about it or they're not aware that they have to behave differently and they're just thrown into the lines then and say, all right, mm-hmm. here we go. Yeah. We trust you. So it's really helping them to increase their level of awareness about those two mm-hmm. components outcome, business outcome, and relationship. And, and I think that, because you're right, it's not talked about. It's almost setting the expectation when the job posting's up. But imagine even the interview, if you could do some role-playing and, and use real-life situations, just so they're like, God, this is this is what I'm getting into. Mm, I don't know if this is for me or, wow, <laughs> I got to turn, I got to, I got to change things up. And, and then I think before you have the job, you can ask yourself, do, am I prepared to do this? Maybe I like to be Eddie Haskell and I want to be liked so much and I, I can't do that. So I think that's, that's great that you pointed that out. One other thing I remember in when you're trying to balance the relationship, because you do need the relationship, but you can't make it allowed to take precedence because the outcome is what you're looking for. But as you're delivering the message and as you're engaging and connecting, if it's inauthentic, it's like, you, you, you're just getting to the outcome because you know, as the manager, like I got to do this. And so I could feel leaders sitting down with me and those, what, when I, when I draw upon past experiences, past ways that they've helped me, I knew this was a tough conversation, but I knew the outcome. I knew why they were doing it. And I knew it's like the bandaid once it's, it's going to be painful, but in the long term, it's for the good. Whereas others I could feel, and I'm like, you don't, you don't care. You do not. And I was just so reluctant to give in because I'm like, this is a message that's been brought down. You're a parrot repeating it. And you are so just checking off your KPI box. Yeah. You, you can you smell can. somebody that walked the yeah. talk or not walk the talk, right? So for me, the first, the first difficult conversation with a new manager is with themselves, yeah. right? Like you were saying, right? And we rarely do that before. But after that, somebody lose their job. Now you talk to a coach and people told me, I don't know if I want to be managing people. <laughs> <laughs> I think that conversation should happen yeah. before promoting. That's a difficult conversation internally within an organization that we need to have. It costs a fortune to appoint somebody in a management role to see that person not doing, not performing or leaving after a year, six months. It costs an arm mm-hmm. and a leg. So the first difficult conversation, it's like you said, during the interview process, um, just role play, just and bring the level of awareness on that person that this is what you should expect. Is it in line with what you want to do? Because a lot of people, and I was one of them, Karen, I can articulate about it. We want to be promoted because it's ego. Mm-hmm. It's prestige. It's the status, right? I want to be recognized. I want to be seen, which is great. But the reality of the job, it's not about being seen. Right? The reality of the job is to support your team. The reality of the job is to, is to have uh, established trust in that team, deliver the, the, the numbers, but you have to be there for your team. And it's not for everybody. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And sometimes people don't know yeah. that. 
They think they know, but they don't know that. And, and that's a message for any sales leaders or companies that are listening to this to really, you know, do your due diligence in advance. If you, if you want to keep, cause it does cost money to bring these people in. You're also, you know, you're resetting the culture. And so if you want to keep them, set clear expectations of what they can expect and make sure you have the right person who is committed to what they, what they need to do. And part of this is having difficult conversations. Yeah. Yeah. Difficult conversation up front versus difficult conversation after that. Now it's, you know, there's an impact on the organization. People see that. And as a leader, a lot of people don't want to have a conversation, a difficult conversation. So they postpone that. They are reluctant, right? They're frozen in action. They know that they should talk to the person, but they're just pushing that in the future. They're just avoiding that difficult conversation down the road, right? And sometimes leaders don't have the time to prepare for a conversation. They just go from meeting to another and they think they can do it. They think they can wing it. But a difficult conversation, you can rarely wing it because there's always emotion built in. Are, are, when leaders are reluctant to give feedback or have that difficult conversation, I can tell you what that does to the team. It completely erodes culture. They're all wanting it for, to happen and they lose respect for that leader or that manager because if it's about performance, if it's about, you know, whatever it is, it, it impacts when you work as a team, it impacts you. And I think when they're not willing to step up and deal with confrontation, have that difficult conversation, you lose the respect of your team. I, I fully agree. And I've seen so many leaders or directors or managers in my career that didn't have it. Yeah. And it was obvious to everybody else, but yeah. them, right? Yeah. And that person now find themselves alone on an island, right? <laughs> and if HR pushes the 360 and they got feedback like, what? I yeah, did. I know. It's now there. There's a huge disconnect, but the, for me, the, the question is: How long do we wait to have yeah. those conversations? Right. It, but and, and I've been there too. But all of all of that's preventable. Like you, you can get in front of that. You can see those things in advance. And and you know, for me, it's like nip that in the bud. Um. So when you talk about where sales leaders are going wrong, they're they're making it they're not doing it right what would you say that is one of the reasons that were they're taking the relationship um, as precedence over the outcome is that one of them well sales leader they want to grow right mm -hmm. so they are looking for attention they want to be promoted so they're proving themselves right mm -hmm. having a tough conversation sometimes they don't know how to approach it mm -hmm. sometimes they don't want to damage a relationship Right or they, they 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 believe that having a conversation is riskier than tolerating the current state of things. So a lot of leaders are just it will fix by itself. You know, we'll give it time and it's going to be okay. Mm -hmm. And when they decide to have a conversation, a lot of leaders don't prepare. Mm -hmm. So going back to what's the purpose, right? So how am I going to tackle that? Um, is there anything that can trigger me in conversation? As a leader, this is not a conversation that we're familiar with because we want to prove ourselves. We think we're better. We think we can control ourselves, right? But in a setting of a difficult conversation, what if the other person is getting upset? What if the other person is yelling at you? What if, if those are the triggers that we need to plan, right? And... The leader is normally coming too hard. So this is my feedback. Take it or leave it. That's it. Mm -hmm. No respect for the relationship. Or what I see way more often is watering down the message. That's okay. You know, it's, you're not so bad or you're not too bad. Yeah. And so it's hard to find not the middle, but the balance between the purpose and the relationship. Right. And as a coach, my job is not to tell people what they want to hear. My job is to tell them what I think they need to hear with empathy and compassion. And that's sometimes the recipe that is missing from the leaders. 
having empathy and compassion to deliver a hardline message if you need to while managing the relationship. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I love that. And even after the message, like, have, like, don't go back on it. And it's like, if you've prepared it and you're, um, you're, you're happy with your choice, like move on and you might've hurt some feelings, but like, you, at, you know, part of the qualities of a leadership, like that's part of your job. Yeah. And yeah. So if you can't handle that, then don't go into leadership. Exactly. Exactly. Now, when you said plan triggers, so if I'm going into a, have a difficult conversation with a team member and I, are you suggesting I anticipate, okay, so if they start yelling, if they're not listening to me, if they're doing something, get in front of it. So what, what should I do in the moment? Should that arise? Is that what you're suggesting? Yeah. So all of us, we have triggers, right? And triggers, it's really fast. It's unconscious and we're just reacting to something. So what could be the scenarios where you, Karen, might lose control? Right? Mm -hmm. Is it somebody yelling at you or somebody arguing with you? Or uh, I remember in my first day as management, somebody crying for me. That was the <laughs> the last thing I wanted to manage because I didn't know how to handle that. I felt yeah. so guilty to have that person crying in front of me. So big trigger. But sometimes it's hard to identify those triggers. So having a conversation with a coach you know, without being in a difficult conversation, it's helpful. So what can happen that can trigger you? Oh, nothing. Okay, so let's do some role play here and see how it goes, right? So it's really planning for our emotional temperature and what can trigger a spike in that emotional temperature. Mm -hmm. So we want to plan for what-if scenarios. And if those scenarios are happening... Because we already plan it, it's easier for us to just observe the relationship like, oh, sounds like you're upset. Did I mm -hmm. say something that upset you? Now I can have those conversations without feeling small, guilty, or you know, responsible for the other person's reaction. But most people don't take the time to plan for that. Mm-hmm. So what I'm hearing there is when you can remove uh, and get in front of your triggers, you're showing up fully present for them. There's no fog that you're bringing into it. You, like you just said, what you're hearing is you can summarize, you can re repeat back because you've checked your stuff at the door. You've, you've, you've identified what possibly could and you're aware if it does, I've already noted that. Yeah. I'm completely focused on the other person now. Yeah. So if you summarize, you're acting like a mediator, right? So you're yeah. observing two people. So, so, so what I'm observing, what I'm hearing, but when we are emotional in the moment, it's very hard to detach ourselves from that situation, mm -hmm. right? It felt like, oh, it's right. It's like a, a water hose, like really between the two of us and there's nothing else outside of it. Yeah. When you are in the moment and you're an observer, it's almost like not physically, but you can go back a little bit and like, this is what I'm observing. And it gives you an opportunity to detach yourself from the drama, the emotion. So you're not under control of your own drama. That's why mm -hmm. we're planning for triggers. But even if you've planned uh, potential things to happen, you could say, oh, well, there's the water hose. <laughs> I knew. And even if it wasn't a water hose, you've already anticipated stuff's going to go wrong here. Stuff's going to become flying at me. I, I recognize it because I was expecting it. Mm -hmm. And because you prepare for it, you're not losing control yeah. when it's happening, right? Yeah. And this is the key here in a difficult conversation is... Going back to the purpose, what's the purpose? I have to provide feedback to that person. Perfect. Now the person is reacting. Instead of me reacting, I can just acknowledge the reaction mm -hmm. from the other person, right? I know I see that you're angry with me and that's okay. It's, it doesn't take anything away from me to admit that. But now what you want to do in a difficult conversation is to create room for the other person to express themselves, right? Okay. Most leaders or most sales rep, they go in with the purpose of this is it. But there's no room to acknowledge how the other person feels. There's no room to, for the other person to express where they're coming from. 
right? There is no room, there's no, there's no space for that person. And oftentimes when we create space for the other person or we invite them to speak up, a lot of people feel like that's not the right thing to do because they're going to take over their, their conversation. And my perspective is, no, you're preparing. You know the purpose. You did your checkup about triggers. When I deliver my conversation, that's the first step of a conversation. The second step is asking the other person, what do you think? What's your perspective? And now my job is to listen to them because I can provide feedback, but that doesn't mean that I know the entire truth of the world. That doesn't mean that only me know how to do things. So I want to listen to the other person, right? And that's part, part number two. I have to show empathy and I have to create space for that person to speak up. And that's the way we deliver bad news without damaging the relationship. Creating space for connection. Con creating space for acknowledging the other person's feeling or, mm -hmm. or, or emotions or thoughts or, or whatever they're coming from. It doesn't take anything from, from me to acknowledge how the other person is feeling. Mm-hmm. And I think that's so important holding space for people because it's, it might be the first time they've heard what you've just shared and they're, they're processing it. And sometimes it helps to just speak out loud. And, and, and even if it's, you know, poke holes at it and say, well, you know, I didn't get my, my 5%, like what, what, what performance metrics was it? And so just even then you've isolated, okay, it was the, um, I don't know, virtual selling part of it. But it starts to break it down, make it a little bit more digestible. And you're basically passing the baton to them. And like that's where two-way communication comes into versus that dictatorship of, like you said, this is my way or the highway. And it's like, well, I'll take the highway, thank you. But I think holding space and allowing people to process it. And it also just shows respect for them. Like I'm, I'm just allowing you to go through whatever emotion to ask any question and to just come to terms with what I've just shared with you. Yeah. And this is a big difference, Karen, between being under control of our emotion versus being present. Mm. I'm going in, the person is reacting, triggers me. Do I want to prove myself? Do I want to persuade? Do I want, to, what do I want? It's like there's a mixing, a, mix, a yeah. melting pot here. When I'm calm and I'm not controlled by my emotion, I can just sit here and say, this is what happened. I want to hear your perspective. So there is an opening that doesn't exist. There's an awareness that doesn't exist because a difficult conversation, we feel like we're going to do the talking and they have nothing to talk about or they have nothing to say against it because I'm right. They're wrong. I'm the boss. I'm giving them feedback, right? But it goes back to the purpose of that conversation. Why am I taking time to sit down and give you feedback, Karen? What should be the, the, the real purpose is to help you to grow. Mm -hmm. well, that, that should be my intent as a manager, helping you to grow. But how am I going to do that if I don't allow you to express yourself? If I don't have empathy for how you feel? If I cannot even recognize that you are upset, you are mm -hmm. frustrated, sad, angry, the recognition of the other person's emotion doesn't take anything away from us. But you cannot do that if you're not mindful. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's such an important role. And I just think if, if that space and acknowledgement doesn't take place, you're, you're preventing them from moving forward. You know, they can't get they can't get past what you've just shared. Yeah, and there's the risk of damaging the relationship yeah. is very strong. Well, it just shows like you're not willing to listen to what I have to say here. Like you're just and you can tell even with body language, it's like, okay, I got a two o'clock here, so you got any questions? It's like, uh, you just told me I didn't get my commission. Yes, I have, you know, and so I think you have to you have to care. You have to really care. And like I love what you said, you have to be empathetic and you have to be compassionate. But what do you say for these 25-year-old leaders who might not have the empathy and compassion, might not have been around long enough to really come 
you know, in terms of life experience and, and have that? What what are some things that they can do? Yeah, well, the, the first thing for me as a coach, uh, Karen, is always ask the person, if you were receiving that news that you're going to deliver, how would you like the other person to deliver it to you? So kind of putting a mirror, right? So yeah. I would like the person to respect me. Fine, perfect. I would like the person to acknowledge how I feel. Okay. So sometime with especially younger, younger management uh, people, not telling them what to do, but asking them, how would you like to be told that news? You know, by your girlfriend, by your wife, by your husband, by your boss, by your employee. How would you like to be received? Yeah. And I always go back to a conversation with your best friend. And I don't know if it's applicable for 25 years old, but I have friends, Karen, that give me the toughest feedback ever. But they, they did it in a way that I know they care about me. Mm-hmm. I know they respect me. I know they like me. But the feedback they offer me, it was difficult. Mm-hmm. But it was for me yeah. an opportunity to grow. And that's for that. This is a key here about you know delivering something that it's not fun to deliver in a way that is you know exploring, not exploring, fostering a relationship, developing a relationship. So I like to ask people, how would you like to be received Mm -hmm. in a similar situation? I, I love that because you're not giving them a playbook because it can sound scripted, and everyone, everyone, that answer is going to be different from everybody. And I can tell you from my personal experience, if I were to ask myself that question, you know, sometimes it's my husband and in no fault of, he's always coming at it from a good intention, but he'll say, you need to do this. And that triggers me because I'm like, I don't need to do anything. <laughs> and so just asking myself, do I say that? Do I come to call it? And I, I don't, but I'm just saying, I think that activity still holds merit in that. What am I saying that I, or what are, what are people saying to me that I don't like? And making sure that I'm not coming to the table with that, because that too might maybe triggering somebody. But the second part is when I get kind of fluffy feedback, I have no, I don't respect, not that I don't respect the person, but I'm like, this is not helping me. I don't need somebody to tell me what they think I want to hear. And my best friend, she's like, Karen, I don't give cupcake feedback and she'll give me the hard truth. And I'm like, you're right. Like, you know, you need to do that anyways. But when you have someone else validate it, you're like, thank you. But for someone to kind of cushion around and like, yeah, you know, maybe and you're like, no, that doesn't help me. You're actually not, you're not my friend if you're doing that. Like you need to give me the hard news that's going to drive change and results. Yeah, it's, it's very difficult to do, deliver feedback because we all want to hear it because we think we're the best. We think we're good. We think we're doing a great job. And somebody else is coming with a different perspective, right? That or it's not us. And obviously, it's going to create resistance because they see parts of us that we don't see or we don't even want to acknowledge that we're reacting this way, right? I, I hate when people told me what to do. And it's mm-hmm. becoming more present to me. Um, and so th- this is the, the ability to create awareness. You know, with younger management people, they might not have experience about all those questions. They might not know the answer, but we need to help them increase their level of awareness about how would they, how they do, they like to be treated, how they would like to be spoken to, right? And we're going back to respect, um, listening, um, equal. So the same principle that now can be applied to. Uh, other people. Mm-hmm. And I think you're empowering them too to have free thought and that's going to build confidence, you know, if they, especially if they are a new manager. Um, now you mentioned giving feedback, you know, what is, is there a framework? I know the sandwich, it was always positive needs improvement, positive. What, what, is there a framework? <laughs> is there something that you would suggest for giving feedback? Well, so that uh, Oreo cookie or that sandwich, <laughs> whatever you want to call that, it's, it's really wrong. And okay. here's, here's why. Every time I start with something, you did that very good. And the other person says, what? But because people know what's coming, right? Yeah. So there's, for me, there's, there's a rule with feedback that it's very hard to respect. 
if I want to give you praise, I need to give you praise. But I cannot give you praise and a negative feedback in the same phrase. It's one or the other, right? Um, and when we need to give feedback, we need to do it as close as possible as the action. And like you were saying earlier, with facts, not my ideas on how you should behave, right? So this is what happened. Those are the consequences. This is how I felt. I've, this is how it's impacting me, right? But a, a, a feedback, a performance appraisal, first of all, performance appraisal once a year, it's hard because I don't remember what happened five, six, eight yeah. months ago, right? And management, they just do it because HR is asking to do it. <laughs> but we should praise people on a regular basis. Yes, yes. Amen. And if we have something, I my 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 recipe, Karen, if I'm in a good space, I'm always asking the other person, how do you think it went? Mm-hmm. I want to hear their perspective. Yes. Right? Because maybe in their mind, it went super well. So I have to acknowledge that. Wow, that's awesome. Right? Um, now, how about the time of that? Uh, how about the delivery? How about the tone? Did you feel confident? And slowly, we can have a conversation. A feedback, it's a two-way conversation. And most people have a feedback as a one-way conversation. Either I deliver or I receive it but there is no really interaction. And if I offer feedback to somebody, that doesn't mean that I'm right. That doesn't mean that even the feedback resonates with them. So I have to check with them. Does it resonate with you what I'm telling you, right? Um, I gave feedback to one of my colleagues. She was doing a lecture in front of the room and her legs were crossed. So I said, do you, are you aware that when you stand in front of the class, your legs are crossed? She said, no. Are you comfortable in front of the class? And she said, yeah, I am. So I shared that for me. When somebody has their, their leg crossed, it might be a sign that they're not confident. And she was upset with me because it, doesn't, it, didn't, it didn't resonate with the reality. So I share my perspective and I say, are you confident in front of her? She said, yes, I am. But I have a feeling she was not confident because she had a hard time fielding questions that were not part of the script. Mm-hmm. But when I told her that, you know, normally when people cross their legs, they might not be confident, she was upset. But in reality, my feedback was, I'm offering you something. You want to take it? Fine. It doesn't resonate. I'm fine because mm-hmm. I don't. I, I I don't want to bring the feedback back. It's 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 done. It's on the table. Mm-hmm. So, feedback. It's praise in one conversation, negative feedback in the other conversation, and as a feedback provider, we offer it to the other person, and that's it. There's no emotional charge. They can do whatever they want with that feedback if our intent is to help them to be a better person. Mm-hmm. Well, uh, for your colleague, I mean, I think she was mad at herself probably for doing that. And it, not, it you were the messenger. You know when someone points something out and you're like, I hate you for saying that, but I hate myself even more for doing it, right? Yeah. You pointed it out. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but just what you said there is you said, so you can't have positive and negative in the same uh, sentence. So you've, you deliver positive news, but there is a needs to improvement. So do you kind of close that off, ask if it resonated and then go into the, the needs improvement? I think it's two different conversation. Because like at the same, like with some breaks in between each other or like time frame wise, the same two, time frame? Two different conversation. Okay. Right. Providing feedback should be as close as possible to the event. Mm-hmm. Providing praise should be as close as possible as the event, right? If I have both to tell, I have to be uh, open to hear the other person's feedback as well on their own performance. Mm-hmm. And if it's not a performance appraisal, I like to ask people, are you, um, are you okay if I share my feedback? Mm-hmm. Because... I don't want to impose my feedback. Yeah. I've learned that in my career, right? So yeah. earlier in my career, I'll tell the new people, this is what you need to do. This is how you should do it. 
well, maybe they're not in the right place to receive that feedback mm-hmm. at that moment. Maybe they're stressed, maybe they're whatever. So I think two conversations, it's better. And I always want to ask if I'm doing an impromptu feedback, do you want to hear my what I think? Yeah, yeah. And if they say no, I have to say, okay, <laughs> so is there another time yeah. where we can, is it a timing issue or is it something? Like, yeah. No, that's good. I mean, there's unsolicited, which is kind of annoying sometimes, but I can tell you, I've learned that I will always, uh, even if that's what I'm there to do, I'll always just say, is it okay if I share some feedback? And they're almost looking at me like, well, isn't that why you're here? But I think it's just, you know, you're asking for permission and, and then they're, they're ready to receive, you know, they're, they're open to receiving. What about Gaetan feedback on self? So you're a new sales leader or you're a sales leader, not new or could be new. And you now want feedback from your team because you're trying to constantly improve. What is that? What's the the methodology? What's the framework to do that? Or any tips? Um, It's all about trust, right? So asking your team for feedback, it's all about trust. So if you don't trust your team, don't ask them feedback because you might not want, you might not hear what you want to hear. You're a jerk. (laughs) You're a jerk, right? So for me, I I would, I would coach up those people in two stage. Why do you need their feedback, right? Mm -hmm. Do you need their validation or do you need them that to tell you you're doing a good job? So is that validation, right? Um, Are you prepared to hear? something you don't want to hear that will be my question for them and are you prepared to act on that feedback Mm -hmm. right um so i want to understand the purpose of asking out and i also want to search your expectation that maybe you will hear something that it's not the same because people have a different perspective of you versus Mm -hmm. perspective your perspective of yourself right and what if, if it's negative and what are you going to do with that? So if the person is self-aware, wants to grow, they'll say, I know sometimes I hear stuff that I don't want to hear, but I prefer that than people talking in my back. So it's mm-hmm. almost like a pre-conversation versus, you know, going to the feedback. Mm-hmm. But majority of people who ask feedback have a hard time to receive it. Because Mm -hmm. it's not exactly what they want to hear. So what's the purpose then, right? So our ego wants to be flattered, wants to be stroked. But what if, if it's not? Is that Mm -hmm. worse to ask for feedback or not to ask for feedback from that perspective? You have to be able to live with both sides of Mm -hmm. the feedback, both sides of the coin. And, and I love that. And those questions to ask, even if, even if you don't have a coach, I think it's important for you to ask, why are you asking this? Because at the end of every training, I ask for feedback and you're kind of cringing in the moment going, oh, but sometimes people will say, you know, it would have been helpful to have this. And it's, and so in the moment, I'm like, I actually never, it, it could have been such an easy switch for me. So I'm so grateful. You definitely put yourself out there. You're exposing yourself, but it's not, it's about creating a better experience for the learners. So I don't take it personally because I've been doing this long enough that I'm like, I wish I would have known that because now, you know, I don't know, you didn't get the complete experience that you wanted or whatever it is. But so I just think um, it's, it's positive. It might hurt in the moment and that's your ego, but in the long term, it should align with your purpose. It should. If, if that's what you want to do, that's perfect. But that question you just asked, Karen, I don't think a lot of people are aware of it. Why am I asking for feedback? Yeah. Right? And, and would you suggest going back to the purpose when if I'm a sales leader and saying, look, folks, you know, we've been working together for eight months now and my goal as a leader is to continually improve and grow and really ensure that I'm meeting the individual needs of the team. And to better support that, I would like to get some feedback from you, like letting them know the purpose. And again, aligning the the tone, the authenticity behind it. Is that the way you would do it? So they know, okay, I'm not just stroking her ego here. Yes, that's the way. But before you get there, if you want to hear their feedback, but you never listen to them the rest of the yeah. time, <laughs> it's almost like there's there's a, a disconnection here, right? So yeah. boss, you want me to give you feedback? 
you never accept our yeah. ideas in any meeting. Yeah. So, uh, yeah, I think if you really want to know, you know, what's happening and you want to grow and you, you're sincere and you're honest, yes, that's the way to do that. Mm -hmm. But is that supporting yes. the day-to-day -day behavior mm -hmm. or is that coming out of nowhere? Yeah. I, right. I think that's a really valid point. So sales leaders, if you're listening, make sure the day-to-day -day activities, actions, active listening, respect you're giving your team is consistent because all of a sudden it's like, this is the Karen show. She wants us all to do this for her. Meanwhile, she doesn't get back to our, you know, emails. She doesn't listen. She doesn't take her ideas. I'll give you feedback. <laughs> Get a new job. <laughs> yes. But you just said the key word, Karen. I think when we ask for feedback, people are really quick to identify inconsistency in our behavior. Yeah. Am I consistent? Right? Am I am I listening to people? Am I this? Am I that? And whatever you invite people to speak, the first thing they realize is the inconsistency between the way you talk, the way you walk, and the, the way you want to be. Mm -hmm. um, so that's that's a really a key word for me. Mm -hmm. Well, this has been amazing. You've kind of brought me down a memory lane of 20 years of bosses, and <laughs> difficult conversations that I've been the recipient of that now I'm leading myself. And so... It's been a, a great eye-opening. I definitely learned learn lots here, as I always do, speaking with you, Gaetan. Um, and so if, if people would like to learn more about yourself, your coaching programs, to connect with you, what's the best way for them to do that? Uh, there's two, two ways. My website is um, navigatesgroup.com. So this is where you can find myself, my book. And also on Gumroad, I'm offering a one-hour conversation. It's a bit of a long URL, but if you go on Gumroad and you go, you do Tough Convo Coach, or you Google that Gumroad Tough Convo Coach, you'll you'll be able to find me. And I'm offering you know hour an hour coaching preparation, really going through full preparation, trigger, purpose, everything, really helping people to not be afraid of a conversation. Mm -hmm. I think that's great. Uh, so I would encourage people who are dealing with this regularly to, to take Gaitan up on that offer. And uh, all this will be included in the show notes. As always, Gaitan, it's been great. Thank you for your time and sharing your wisdom. And I know that I will be more mindful. Um, I, always, I always am after speaking to you, but definitely leaving this call. So thank you again for sharing all your it's wisdom. My, my pleasure. And it's always, a, it's always fun to have a conversation with you. Okay, take care. Thanks for tuning in, everyone. We'll see you next time.